0: Enough. I, I. I I like the sound, but I just want to make sure that I'm not too loud, so I get any kind of uh, uh, feedback. Well, I'm excited about finding Jesus in the Old Testament, and um, when we first. Let me use this as an illustration. when we first moved to Germany, um, we had I'd been to Germany a lot uh, as a kid, as uh, an adult, uh, you know, very loving and kind and they would receive us and they would give us their beds in their in the main bedroom, you know, <laughs> and they would go sleep in the living room and, and, and they they cared for us, all of our needs were met. I, it was just the the people were just really kind and wonderful and uh, so when we were getting ready this is a modern country um, great cars fast cars that you were allowed to drive fast (laughs) by the time you reach 120 to 140 on the uh, interstates there you know that you're traveling and if you have an accident you only ever have one that's it (laughs) at those speeds but it's it's an amazing experience, and I know a lot of folks that just, you know, love that. So it's, they've got great new stuff. They're technologically advanced, and I don't know, just that was great for visiting the country. When we moved there, it was a whole different matter. I remember sitting in the bank, trying to st- open a bank account, And trying to understand, and I spoke German. Now, mind you, my German was just um, from grade school. So I didn't have the vocabulary, but I had the accent. So I sounded like a German, and uh, people would think I was a German, but I wasn't a German. And I wasn't a German by not being able to communicate. I couldn't understand anything about insurances. I couldn't understand the health system. I couldn't understand the tax system. I couldn't understand how to open a bank account. And I'm sitting there in this, in this bank, and I'm just going, Lord, this is impossible. Why did you bring us here? And I'm sitting there trying hard not to cry. Seriously, a 30-year-old man sitting in the bank saying, I can't understand how they do this. I can do banking in England. I can do banking in America. I can can survive, but this is crazy. (laughs) And I, I was sitting there going, how in the world are we ever going to survive if I can't ever learn this stuff? And it was all being poured on my shoulders all at once. And I needed help, fortunately, The pastor who had prayed us to come to the country to work with him was a fabulous friend. And he would take me around from one uh, government agency to the next, to the next, and he said, you gotta sign here, and I would sign there. And then they would put money in my bank account for kids. We had children, and so they paid us for having children. And because we had a lot of kids, we got quite a bit of money. I, I'm going, this is crazy. And then, and then I'm, I'm, he's saying, for insurance, you need to sign here. You're going to get a card. And then that's you. You're going to be taken care of. I said, but what about medicine? Oh, it's all taken care of. I'm going, wow. It took a while for us to learn the system. When we learned the system, it made sense. It took a while to learn what the system was like, but once we understood the system, Jan was saying to us the other day, this is a crazy system here in America when it comes to insurance. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. When we got everything covered, all our dental, all our, all our health insurance, whatever we needed, when Jan had a brain tumor, when they discovered it, She was in the hospital and had the the primary surgeon of a university hospital operating on her. At the first possible opportunity, she took precedence and came out of it. At the end of all of that, they came to her and what doctors never say, said to her in English, Mrs. Thurston, you are healed. I, and I'm sitting there going it, we knew people who had died from that operation and I'm sitting there going this is this is this is amazing and the total amount the total cost of that was less than $100 and I'm sitting there going oh my goodness it cost I don't know how many hundreds of thousands for 3 weeks in the hospital in order for that to be taken care of and, and, and I, I'm sitting there going it's almost impossible I needed I needed somebody to come to us because we were strangers to that entire way of life. I needed somebody to be the cultural translator who could translate the culture, the German culture, to us in a way that we could understand it so that we could live in it. We couldn't live in the German culture as Brits or as Americans. We had to take on the German mentality. Now, of course, the negative end of that was that when we came back to the States, I was still thinking and acting like a German, and, and the Americans just couldn't understand that. <laughs> they thought I was mean and nasty, and, 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 and I'm going, oh no, how am I going to reverse this process and learn again how to be an American in America? Now. The reason why I spent so much time just now sharing that with you is that when it comes to the spiritual things, the life of God in the spirit, we're talking about the heavenly, heavenly character, heavenly nature, heavenly culture. How does that translate into a world of sinners? When it comes to sin, we know what that is. We have lived that way. Our parents lived that way. Our neighbors lived that way. That's how we think. We think and we act according to what we have learned in this world. But when Jesus came into this world, he came in from heaven. He says, Jen was reading that, I've come with the glory and I'm going to give you my glory. But what is life in heaven like? It is so foreign and strange to us, to our way of thinking, that we need to have a translator who can translate heaven's nature, character, qualities, values, all of that into our lives in a way that we can both understand and adapt to and become, have that become a part of the way that we live. So that even though we are living in the world, regardless of which culture or nation that we live in, that what we do is we take a hold of the nature of heaven and are able to express that and live that here on earth. (laughs) Praise God, there is a cultural translator. His name is the Holy Spirit, and that's his job. His job is to introduce us to Jesus in such a way that the life of Jesus becomes who we are. That the very life of Jesus that is within us and that is growing inside of us becomes who we are when we interact with one another, with other people that are outside. However it is, we begin to become the ones that are able to introduce people to the life of heaven, not just on earth, but in preparation for our eternity. That's an incredible thing. Amazingly, amazingly, when I look at the scriptures, when Jesus was saying, You will find me in the books of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms. You're going to find the life and the character and the nature of Jesus right there. It's always been there. And people misinterpret it because they put it within their own cultural understanding. It's difficult. I know that's a difficult thing to, to try to grasp, but if you, we've traveled a lot. And in every nation that we go to, there are different cultures, you know? And in, in, in when I first went to Uganda and had never been there and we're, we're out in the bush and we're visiting these villages and, and the people are walking for hours to come to the meetings and then we s- we're going to eat. We, we, you don't sit down at a table, you sit on the ground. And then they come by with a, uh, with, with, with a pitcher of water and, and a bar of soap, and, and they give you the soap, and, and you put your hands out, they pour a little bit of water, you put the soap on it, you hand the soap back, they pour the water, you rinse off your hands, and now you're ready to eat. You have your utensils. I want to tell you, the first time you have to do that, that's very interesting. Why? Because they say... You have to see your food. You have to, uh, you have to smell your food, and you have to feel your food. You have to know what it is that you're eating. That's get, I'm sitting there going, I use a knife and fork. <laughs> you know, we we race through it as fast as we can. No, this is a this is an event that people are sharing life with you. When, when we went to a restaurant and we ordered uh, 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 in Kenya up in the in the north, uh, northwest of Kenya, out in the middle of, of, of nowhere. We stopped first before we went to look at bridges that we were repairing across um, uh, streams and rivers. And we ordered our meal. Why? Because we were a team of like six or eight, I forget. And, and so we had to order at the restaurant first. And then they took the goat out back and they... Killed the goat and they skinned the goat and it took them time to prepare our meal, so we had to order the meal when we first arrived to the area. Then we went out and did all our work and then we came back and then they were ready because they'd cooked the goat for us. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is this is very different to life anywhere else. If you can imagine that, the life of heaven is not American. <laughs> the way of heaven is not. American. It's neither North American or South American. It's not Southern. It's not Northern. It's not Yankee. It's not even Californian. It's none of those things. The life of heaven is something that that permeates every single society on this earth and changes people from the inside out. And that's the kind of life that we're looking for. Now, this is what happens when, when Moses first of all, comes and he meets with God in the burning bush in chapter 3. And in these verses, it's fascinating. He says, Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am coming to the sons of Israel, and shall I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now, they may say to me, What is his name? Why do they ask about the name? They ask about the name because the name tells you something about the character and the nature of of the person that you're talking to. When when they came to Jesus, they said, where do you live? And he says, come and I'll show you why. They want to know his daddy is. They want to know what family he grew up in. They want to know why he's so special, you see. And so here, he says, they're going to say, what's his name? What shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And furthermore, uh, uh, and God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. All generations. I, I, I just Let me underline that. I am says, I exist the only thing is that you know about God is that He is. <laughs> he is the one who can say, "I am," without beginning, without end. I am. And I'm sitting there going, "That's fascinating to have that eternal perspective. The one who creates, the one who uh, can manage and has all power and authority. And you know, you, you start to look. I am sort of describes." The Milky Way or the universe, you know, <laughs> doesn't tell me a whole lot about who God is. You're with me? I mean, it's an introduction, but here He is. He says, "I am." Well, the amazing thing is that He begins, and I think this is wonderful. Like we looked at last week, we looked at Jesus and His crucifixion and His burial and his resurrection, and we saw that in Abraham, we saw that in Joseph, we saw that in uh, Moses, who had this great thing and was set out to the desert, and then he comes back to be the deliverer, the one who sets free. I I mean, those pictures are beautiful. And every last one of us, if we are going to be free from sin... We come to the cross of Jesus. Our, our introduction into Christian life, into the heavenly life is that we come because we confess our sins and we need to be free of our sins and and we we come to the cross and at the cross where we lay our burden at the feet of the one whose blood is covering us from all unrighteousness and is forgiving us and we have the flooding of our hearts of forgiveness. Oh my goodness, what an incredible thing. We met with Jesus and he really does love us and he doesn't remember my sin anymore. I'm free, I'm free. What a beautiful thing. That is the beginning. That's the entrance. That's the doorway. <laughs> you know, that's how we get. That is not everything. Everything begins after you get there. There's a whole lot more. So when I'm looking for Jesus in Moses and in the prophets, I'm not just looking for the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I'm not just looking for that. I want to understand who this wonderful, amazing God is. And so we start out. Here they go. They've just come through the Red Sea. They've been baptized, right? That's the picture Coming through the Red Sea on dry ground. And then Pharaoh's army is destroyed. They sing the song of Moses. They're dancing. The horse and rider have been thrown into the sea. And they are got their tambourines out. And they're all, <laughs> this is incredible. We've been set free. And they walk three days into the wilderness. <laughs> three days. We need some water. And they come to this lake. <laughs> and it's bitter. And now they're angry. <laughs> they just saw Pharaoh and his armies. They destroyed Egypt without raising a finger. And now they've seen this incredible display of the marvel of God and God's ability. And in three days, they're complaining. And they're saying, God, why did you bring us out of here? You know we're going to (laughs) die. Now, you know we all need water, don't you? And in the midst of all that, Moses turns to God and he says, God, <laughs> we've got a problem. We've got three million people out here, you know, with all the wives and the kids and 600,000 men. Plus, we've got all this livestock and <laughs> everybody and every edible needs some water. And what does God tell them to do? You take this tree and you put the tree into the water. You understand that, don't you? That is the picture of the cross and you apply what you learned when you first met Jesus and how you put your faith in Jesus at the cross to set you free from your sin. You take that same faith that you put in Jesus and you apply the cross to the bitter waters of your situation. That's how you deal with with the bitterness in life that you face. You put the cross first because it starts to allow your life to be excited. They, they walk on again and they have another issue where they in the desert and they don't have any water. By the way, they went from Mara, which means bitter. They, they went and they found a beautiful oasis where they spent some time and camped out there and then they walked on and then they, there was no water anywhere to be seen. And, and what does God tell Moses to do? He says, take your staff and strike the rock. And there's enough water coming out of that rock. Can you imagine that? He takes, he's at a rock in the middle of the desert. And he hits the rock with his staff. And what happens? Out comes enough water to take care of all the mouths of both man and beast. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, this is incredible. The value of applying, again, the strokes that went on to Jesus, who is the rock of our foundation and our faith, the rock of our faith. I mean, look at that. Is that beautiful or what? And water is what we still need. And so when I take a look at this, this is quite astonishing. Jesus, on his way through Samaria, says, if you knew the gift of God to this lady at the well... And who it is who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never be thirsty, but the water that I will give him will become to him a fountain springing up to eternal life. The very thing that people look at as being foundational in their lives right now is incredibly important because Jesus says, you want to know who I am? I'm the one who gives you the living water that will last forever. When you come to me, I am not only going to give you what you need for your physical body, but for your spiritual body. What I give you is living and eternal. And it's good and it's delicious and healthy and full of joy. And you can jump around in it and you can splash in it like my kids do in the swimming pool and just enjoy the abundance of the eternal waters and springs that God has for us. I take a look at the next thing here in the... Folks say, we're running out of food and we haven't got any bread. <laughs> and so they come back to Moses to complain again. And what is Moses? He says, oh, Lord, what are we going to do? And he says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll take care of that too. You do this and I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide you daily, daily bread. Don't, don't pick up any more than what you need for one day. And they went out and gathered the next morning. And What they said, what is it? they didn't know what it was, it was on the ground they called it, what is it? (laughs) And they made bread out of it they used it to cook with and everything else and this manna that that, that they found manna means what is it and 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 there it is and uh, they're satisfied isn't it fascinating when you read in John 6 Jesus said, I am the bread of life Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. (laughs) This is the bread that comes down from out of heaven, so that anyone may eat from it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats from this bread, he will live forever. And my bread, which I will give for the life of the world, also is my flesh. I'm sitting there going, Jesus comes to take care of, not only of the physical needs that we have, but the spiritual depth of needs that within each one of us. If we're getting fresh bread out of God's word, it feeds our soul, it feeds our minds, it feeds our hearts, it feeds our bodies. It's an eternal bread that will last forever. What did did David write? Uh, I, I keep your word so that I don't sin against you. Thy word have I... Hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. The bread of heaven is incredible. So here we've got water and we've got bread, and all of it starts to point to the life that Jesus imparts and gives to us. Well, the next thing they do, they get to Sinai and they, he goes up into the mountain and meets with God. There's thunder and lightning, people are getting afraid. And he comes back down, and he discovers that he is the lawgiver, and he's giving laws. And he he reads the laws in front of the people, and the people who have seen all the thunder and everything, they're getting fearful, and and they'll say, we'll do it all, we'll do it all. Mind you, they lied, but they said they would anyway. (laughs) Why does he give laws? We struggle with laws and lawgivers, especially I, I went to the planning uh, place in Burgau this week, and and, uh, and I asked them about some kind of zoning laws, and they brought out a book that was this thick. I mean, now you read the laws that Moses got. <laughs> He's getting laws for a whole nation, you know, (laughs) just a few, you know, and and then you're, you're reading about all these laws. Why are the laws? Why is it so important that the next thing that God does after taking care? of both their physical needs and applying it, saying this is just a little bit of what heaven's like. In heaven, there are rivers that produce life continuously. There's, there's a banquet waiting for us in heaven. There's food that's, that's present. Why is it so important that what, what is seen in heaven becomes a part of our life here on earth? And, and the law is not something to deprive us of anything, but it is a protection for us. Why is that so important? Because the law tells us who God is and how God lives. It describes the nature and the character of who the Father in heaven is. He's not out there trying to destroy us. He's trying to protect us from the things that will destroy us. And so when when the laws come... We, we 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 tend to live in a society that doesn't doesn't like laws, and, and is adverse to the laws of God or the laws of the Spirit, and, and 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 we just react negatively when anybody says anything about law. But listen to this: we, we live in a society that's become very tolerant. They they say, that God is love. God is love, and he's merciful in grace, and he's incredibly tolerant now there's no word in the scriptures that says that God is tolerant, but what they're actually saying is it doesn't matter what I do God's going to love me anyway. Tolerance becomes the very issue that we that says we've lost our fear of who God is and who who not only who He is but what he does and the cost. You see, God, God is incredibly patient. He's not tolerant. He, he is forgiving. He's not tolerant. But you don't receive forgiveness unless you have confessed what you need to be forgiven for. And you can't confess what is not sin. You can't actually go for forgiveness until you have identified what the sin is that you're wrestling with. And when you ask for forgiveness for that sin, there is forgiveness that Jesus will give you. And and so it's not a matter of tolerance. You see, God is not tolerant when it comes to sin. It cost him the life of his son. It was an expensive deal when he came to deal with the sin in your life. There is nobody who has ever given more than what God has given to help you get rid of the sin and not to try and make it something desirable that everybody has to celebrate. When God says something is sin, it doesn't matter what your opinion is. And when it comes to the law of God, He says, I want you to know that there is one lawgiver that counts. When we take a look at what Jesus says, he says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What, What is that? That is where they took the law of God and in their attempt to explain it, had created a whole set of laws that had nothing to do with what God had said. And they hadn't understood the character and the nature and the core of who God is. And so they tried to make their own set of laws to go along with with the law that God had actually given, which is pure. Let me tell you something about the law of God. It is spoken in words. And when the word became flesh, the lawgiver was with us in this world. The the law is a person. I don't know. Am I, am I getting too theological for you? I'm sorry if I am. I just I get caught up in these in these things that and I'm saying. Oh my goodness, the law is Jesus being revealed to us. So Jesus says, "I say to you," he says. But I'm saying I, I'm the lawgiver, and now I say to you, this is what I'm telling you. what my law is, you want to know what the law is? The law reveals the character of the Father. And so I'm going to tell you that you don't show opposition against an evil person. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Do you see the difference between the one that says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and you don't show opposition against an evil person? Moses had the incredible Invitation to discover something about what life in the Spirit really is like and what it's about. He's a covenant maker. He came in in, in Exodus 24. It says that uh, he sent... the the young men, the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls and peace offerings to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people as the people listened. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled the covenant which the Lord has made with you, in accordance with all these words. What does a covenant mean? It means all that I have, all that I am, all that I ever hope to be. Everything about me, I give it to you. And your return response is all that I am, all that I have, all that I will ever be, I give to you. And when we come to Jesus and we say all that I am, <laughs> I'm a sinner. All that I have, nothing. All that I ever hope to be, all my future hopes and God—they're all yours. But the return is that God says, "All that I am, all that I have, and all that I will ever be in the world—I'm giving it all to you." It's not a fair exchange at all. We give Him our sin, and He gives us His righteousness. We give Him. We give him our nothingness, and he gives us incredible life, eternal. You start to see the, the difference. In, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus says this, in the same way after the supper he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. You see the same relationship of the blood, the life of, that is in the blood that becomes life to us. And even though the people there were sprinkled with blood when we come and share in communion here, I wish it were every Sunday. If we had it every Sunday or we, whenever we have it, it's the blood of the covenant on us. Not just on the outside, but on the inside. A reminder that we are in covenant with Almighty God. The next one is that he's a life changer. This is incredible. In Exodus 19, Moses went up to God and the Lord called him to the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on evil's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. See, it doesn't matter which nation you're in. But if you come to Jesus, he's taking you out and you become his treasured possession. (laughs) It's beautiful, isn't it? And then he goes on to say, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. <laughs> in Revelation chapter 1, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. You see what, what, what we saw in terms of what, what Moses experienced, and he said, this is what God's doing. He's making you into a kingdom and priests. And now in the book of Revelation, the same words, actually twice. It comes later on at the same time. It comes, and here we have and the most amazing thing about what life in the ki- kingdom of God is like. Oh, um, Let's... Go through this real quick here. The mediator. See, Moses Mo, Moses would talk to God. Then he'd come down and talk to the people. The people would talk to Moses. Moses would go up and talk to God. <laughs> you know I mean? It's just this constant back and forth. The guy in between is Moses. He's the mediator. And then we take one look at, at Jesus. And here it says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. That's why we come in the name of Jesus when we pray, because he's the one that we bring our requests to, who goes to the Father, and he comes and tells us what the Father is and what the Father is doing. The last one here is friend, and in um, Exodus 33. No. Uh, So the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. (laughs) Jesus said, No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Because all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. See, the relationship in in the life that the Father has for each one of us is reflected. (laughs) This is not by far a detailed study, okay? This is just, I picked up seven. I thought that's more than enough for one Sunday morning. But I'm sitting here looking at just those seven. What an incredible life after the deliverance! And how to live that life by faith. And what do you do when you're in a pickle? And when you're struggling? And how you, your life turns bitter, or you're you're in need of fresh bread, or whatever it is that your soul longs for? You're sitting there, and then you realize you're in covenant with with the Almighty and that everything is made available that's necessary for life and godliness in your life and then and then you take a look and you go oh my goodness this is incredible that we're not in it alone but we're in it together with all these other priests that's just raise your hand say i am a priest <laughs> that's what it is exactly <laughs> and then and 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 we are not just those who come to minister, but we are the friends of our mediator. I, I, I take a look at, at that, and I'm saying, this is all in, in Exodus? All these things about Jesus were already present in Exodus? You know what that tells me about God and his faithfulness and his ability to communicate over time and fulfill his promises? What an incredible God. And if he can do that, what can he do in your life too? Suddenly, your little problem is not so difficult for the one who can do all things. And our ability to turn to him and say, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I I have to trust you in this situation that I don't understand But you do. And you can allow me to have a transformation in my life so that I can use God and my priesthood to minister the life of Jesus into this godless society. Our family, our people, neighborhood, or whatever it is. I sit there and I think this is absolutely astonishing that we can see so much of what the culture of heaven is when we look at Jesus in particular. But I'm finding this throughout Moses and the prophets. And if you start saying to somebody that this is something new, wait a minute, God had already declared that this is what it was going to be. And suddenly with new eyes, you're looking at the Old Testament and you're going, oh my goodness, That's Jesus, that's Jesus, that's Jesus, that's Jesus, that's Jesus. He's all these things to you and me today right here. What an incredible thing that we can come to know and be introduced in this way to the life of heaven. I tell you, it's better than learning how to live like a German in Germany. (laughs) A whole lot better. But if we can live the life of Christ on earth, in our neighborhood, and to the to the people around about us, and that God has equipped us and called us. By the way, he, he didn't ever talk about retirement. He just said he called us. <laughs> Not to quit, but to be his life here to those who have no life. Father, I. I thank you today as we look at this that that we can see the faithfulness of a God who wants to introduce us to the life of heaven, who wants to give us security in in our walk, our security in his promises, knowing that they will come to pass, and to share in the joy of growing in our relationship you. I I just thank you. I thank you that we can, it doesn't matter where we turn in the book, we find Jesus. We find the nature of heaven. We find the culture of heaven. We find the joy of heaven. And Lord, we pray that it would transform our lives here, here and now as we become more and more acquainted with who Jesus is inside of us and we respond to the promptings of his spirit. Let that be what we take with us this day, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.